Welcome to the Guru's Books, Beards, and Self-Improvement Podcast, co-hosted by Brian and Andy. And this is the quote of the day. Tomorrow comes today, the gorillas. So I like that quote quite a bit. That was from our producer. What is Jono's official title? Awesome producer, awesome friend, producer, confidant. Makes us sound good person. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely right. <laughs> so Jono found this quote by the gorillas. Tomorrow comes today. We were thinking that we were going to use this quote for the last book, right? The power of now. Right. Um, but I think it also fits with the current book, Essentialism, in, in so many ways. You know, this book, Essentialism, by Greg McCowan, is, uh, is an excellent, excellent book. And it's basically telling us that uh, we need to focus on the most important things today so that our tomorrows can be what, they, what we want them to be, basically. Right. And that's kind of the theme that I keep picking up here is, is that there's just this immediate need for being mindful of doing things today, uh, making today the most important part. You know, Power of Now really talks about it. Now this is really talking about what's the most important things for now mm-hmm. and choosing that over other things. I love that because it is kind of like in a good, a good sequential order. Like, Hey, you have nothing but now. So work on now. And now here's the things to work on. Yeah. Here's what you want to prioritize now or the thing you want to prioritize. Right. Right. He makes it very clear. That was the person that stuck out to me in this book. Right. He was like for years and years, basically since the beginning of time, whenever priority became a word, it was singular, and then modern society turned it into a plural. It was no longer priority. It was priorities with IES, right? Right. I think that is so important to point out. Priority. What is your priority? Not priorities. What is the priority? <laughs> well, and that's the funny thing is he brought that. He definitely does bring that up that that we turned it into many things that are equally important or need to be put they're into all, importance. They're all number one. Yeah. So, so when, you do you, to... when do you pick? How do you pick? <laughs> <laughs> you do them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and and the funny Everything. thing is is that I've read so many books that and, and and this is another reminder of in this book that that's the case you don't you can't do it you can't we are thinking that we can multitask and I think that that's what our the misconception is is that we can actually do it there are a few people that can multitask and it's a very small percent of people and what well, we even, do do is single task quickly before between, right? So we give 50% effort to task one, 50% effort to task two, and we just go in between them at a rapid pace. And that's not multitasking, that's single tasking, but only giving 50% effort. Right. Well, they've done studies on this, you know, in, mm-hmm. in psychology and, and neurology and stuff like that. Like 
every single time you do switch your attention, like your brain just slows down and actually takes much longer to get into a good flow, you know, with when you're going back and forth between things. So you right. think you're really good at it. And maybe, maybe some of you are right. Like good for you. And yet at the same time, I am sorry for you because that means you are probably running ragged. You know, maybe you don't realize it, but it will catch up. I had that discussion with somebody this week and I, I am, and it was an interesting discussion because I was like, you know, I want you to know, and here's how I put it. Not and and they defended themselves. Well, this is the way I am. You know, I'm always, always busy. Always, you know, this is the way I work. If I'm not having something in my life, then something's wrong. And I get what he's saying to a certain extent, but I said, hey, that's also a good quick way to burn out, to think that you always have to have something going on. And my life isn't right unless I'm going, you know, a million miles per hour. And the problem is, is you burn out and then what? And I said, I have some books for you when you, when you need them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm here for you when you realize that this can't be kept up. You just can't keep doing this. Getting four hours of sleep a night and burning the midnight can't, you know, doing burning the candle from two ends is just not going to happen. Is you can't sustain it for a long time. Uh, And if you are following what, you know, the author of essentialism is saying, you really don't want to be doing everything. I love the, uh, the little picture that he drew, you know, with all the arrows in a circle, mm-hmm. um, pointing off in little directions and they're all the exact same length. So it's like you make very, very, very short, very little progress when you have your efforts split up. But if you have it all pointed in the same direction, it makes that straight line. And so that basically saying your progress in whatever it is that you're doing is exponentially greater because that is the sole focus. And so you're going to be happier because you see results. True. I can tell you that recently I had to take a step back and this is why I was, we kind of talked about this, why I kind of was taking a step back into doing all of the YouTube and social media stuff. It was for this reason I was burnt out. I, I didn't have a real direction. And so without the why, which I, we were looking for a why now I'm realizing that beyond the why you have to have the choices that will lead to the best outcome for your happiness. And sometimes that means taking a huge step back on a whole lot of things that you thought you were doing. And, and even, I mean, even if we think about this podcast, we said, Hey, uh, we're going to do this every two weeks. We, we still know it's something that's important, but we have some other stuff and we can't be spread out too thin because otherwise we're not going to be happy and it will become a chore and not something that is a passion project. And that's exactly what he's talking about is you can burn out. And he uses so many good examples in the book about how people have chosen to not burn out, how they've chosen through time management techniques to help themselves get into better positions to make better choices. And it's um, not just the time management techniques, right? He is very quick to say in the book, 
that you need to say no, right? <laughs> yes. No is the correct response to almost everything. And, you know, as the book progresses too, I mean, we're, we're about halfway through this month, which means we should be about halfway through the book. And, you know, and later, later in, in the book, right, we, we read that uh, there are ways to say no gently and kindly and respectfully, and you're still saying no assertively. And I think that that, that is so, so important to back what you were saying, Andy, you know. I too find myself um, saying yes to too many things and having too much stuff going on and then you feel burned out. I've been there very recently, which is why I was like, yes, let's let's have a podcast only every other week. It is important and it is not the priority compared to other things. Right. I think that this podcast for me has been about self-care as well. Um, I think that this has been an act of self-care by helping produce some, because we have to really understand the material and being able to discuss it is an act of self-care to be able to take these and implement these. And I have, I'll be honest with you. That's the reason why I'm so thankful for Jono finding this book. It's so funny. And I, I, you know, you can call it whatever law of attraction, whatever, I really needed this book at this moment and it's completely it's, I just find that how things happen in the world um, is absolutely some timing always is amazing by that. You know, you're just like, wow, this is exactly what I needed when I needed it. Right place <laughs> at the right time. Right. I it just, this book just came cause I was, I was really burnt out on a whole lot of my life. And this came along to say, no, you don't have to do all this. I, I was, it was more than just the social, it was the personal stuff that was going on, um, trying to figure out what I, what I wanted to do with my job, what I wanted to do with some relationships, friendships, you know, cause you can say yes to too many people and have too many people involved in your life. And you're trying to do help out too many people. And you realize that you have to just put the brakes on and you just can't be there for everyone. And you can't be there for everything. And that is what this book has really helped me. I think that we talked about choices, but then we have the other two pieces. And the yeah. other two were... So talking about the, the core mindset, right? Right. So yeah, the first one, like you said, is individual choice. The idea that we can, and I'm quoting from the book here, right? We can choose how to spend our energy and time. The other two. So number two is the prevalence of noise. And this is, this is, uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of the power of now, right? Like we talked about <laughs> noise, that lawnmower going off in your, in your head, you know, all those thoughts. Well, this is beyond just thoughts. This is almost everything is noise and very few things are exceptionally valuable. The third is the reality of trade-offs. We can't have it all or do it all. It's just, it's not possible or realistic. And if you try, you might be able to succeed for a little while. And then you'll find yourself either burnt out or see that you went down a path that maybe wasn't as important to you. 
And it, it talks about that pretty heavily when it's um, when he's discussing that person in the corporate world. Uh, what was what is it called? He was basically saying that people that are successful are successful because at first they are able to focus on what is a priority. They are able to do the essentials. People see them as being very good at what they do. Um, and then they say, hey, because you're really good at this, we want you to do this too, right? So they give right. you things because they view you as uh, as a very, very successful person. Oh, and that's what it's called. It's the paradox of success. Right. It's so interesting. So you're successful. So you get more put on your plate because of that. And you don't say no because you're like, oh, I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to move up. I'm going to get more money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so you say yes, yes, yes. And then you get totally fatigued and everything that was making you successful uh, is no longer a part of what you're doing. And so then you're not as successful. You're not as able to do the things that you once could do. Right. And I think that you can even take it and he takes it one step further at an organizational level and how important a mission statement and prioritizing that. And there are several examples, but as an organization, you can find yourself trying to do too much. We're going to be the best at this, best at this, best at this, best at this. And then sometimes it's vague. <laughs> We're going to be passionate about people. We're going to be the do the best job that we can at, cust at customer service and to our stakeholders and to the business. And we're going to be amazing. And then, and there are certain companies that have figured out that they have to have a priority of who they're going to serve first. And they have examples of where in this book, he talks about how it has helped them in the end. I think one of the key examples, and I'm, I'm a local here to Southwest. He said that Southwest Airlines had this crazy notion of taking off, off the frills, making Southwest just a fun airline to work for, uh, taking off the frills. No, you don't get a meal. You don't get a, you know, some junky meal, you get some peanuts and a, and a drink. <laughs> you don't get a lot of the, you know, you don't get a pre-boarding card. You know, you get a boarding pass that you give back. Yeah. It's plastic. Everyone gets on the plane. You're yeah, everybody gets on the plane. <laughs> and, you know, they, everybody laughed at them because they said, this is where our priorities are. We're going to make sure that we cover the essentials. And we're not going to put a lot of the extras that are not necessary. Oh, and, and also they were talking about destinations. They're only going to certain destinations. So that model kept proving itself time and time again that other companies were trying to mimic it. But the problem is, is that they were so lost in that mimic that they ended up going down. Uh, Continental was the example of a airline that no longer exists. It was trying to mimic them because they realized that they had lost a substantial amount of business. That's right. I, I was going to I remember Continental, but you're right. It's like gone. Yeah, and it, it's because of not knowing the right priorities. And that's where organizations and personal, you can put all of it in there, is not having the right priorities in, in their life. And it doesn't do it mean all. that you don't have 
a list, but you have things that are more important than others. We care about our customers first and getting them a good experience with good airplanes that are quality and things like that. And only going, they're going to only go to these locations, but they're going to do it the best that anybody else has done with the most And there. And if you know any Southwest employees, they're amazing. They're happy. So excited. It's really cool. Well, you just, you just said what essentialism is. It's right. doing less, but better. Right. Less, but more at the same time. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that is huge. And a light bulb kind of went off in my head as you're talking, you know, with High Mountain Sage, my beard and hair company. I like to experiment. I like to try to get new products out. But I think one of the reasons why I kind of get behind and getting more products out is because I spread myself out. It's like, I'm going to sample this product. I'm going to try to make that product. I'm going to do this. And man, I find that I'm just sitting without any progress, like lots of ideas, lots of good ideas too, if I right. may say. Very true. <laughs> and you have very opinion. good product. You have very good products, you do. However, good products, having lots of good products, trying to get lots of good products, you know, when we're just a little startup kind of self-funded, you run out of uh, the ability to do things because you're trying to do too much at once. And I, I feel like I just learned a very valuable lesson that I feel like I should have, right? I'm going to shit on myself, darn it. <laughs> but I feel like I should have known this before. Like, why didn't I, why didn't I just get the light bulb three years but, ago or something? Right, but that's why these books and that's why doing this podcast for us is important. And it's that self-care and self-realization and self-improvement piece. I think it's amazing when you can take a look at your own life and say, ah, and get that light bulb to go off. And do something about it. Those, that's what these. That's what all of these books are about: is being able to take some information and be able to utilize it. And this is a perfect book for that. Utilizing this book, we're able to get some light bulbs going about why things haven't worked and how to make them work better. As a reviewer, you are reviewing a lot of different products. You have a lot of different relationships, and you can get caught up into too much drama, too much relationship issues with other people. You know, so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that. You know, this group of guys doesn't uh, like that other group of guys. And you can very easily get caught up in it. And it's because you're, the reviewer is making relationships with all of these companies and being able to fit in is paramount however you have a day job <laughs> you have a family and unless this was your full-time career of keeping these relationships and networking it is almost impossible to keep up with it especially if you don't have you know maybe a family that says hey yeah it's okay to just do this full-time and not do anything else that's the whole problem here. And, and is like when your case, you have also personal objectives that you have running at the same time that you have your, you have, I, if you think about what you've done, Brian, and this is the same thing for me too, the same boat, you have a full-time job 
that you've just started over. You know, you're you're doing some new stuff, brand working new stuff. Working up to it, working up yeah. to it. Takes time right. to build that practice. Absolutely. So, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like that, Absolutely. that switchover is huge. Then you have the new baby who's not so new anymore. Yeah. He's, he's, he's now like a year and three months. Yeah. Still that's, that's well, a new family going on. That's a new family. Yeah, you know, adding next, another kid is always, you know, the kids are always that important thing to keep, you know, always doing stuff with them. So you're juggling and, those are the things where you go, okay, this is where my priorities are. Plus high mountain sage, plus a podcast, plus whatever. And plus the hiking and the eating and the healthy stuff you had to start listing. Like what's the most important. It doesn't mean that maybe you don't switch off, but you just know that these are the priorities and these things have to be done. Or the priority priority and then secondary and then a tertiary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, th- I think that's the, that's the key, right? It's mm-hmm. not saying that um, can't have priorities, the plural. It's just, you can't have three number ones. Right. Or four. Or two number ones. And you have to have some of these pieces in your life. You do. Like, I think it is important for me as a, as a man to have a group of men that I communicate with. And what I realized out of all of this, that that was actually the most important thing about being part of the bearded community, not the reviews, not so much anything else. It was about being and connected with men because I don't really, I have, you know, I have a lot of females in my life. (laughs) <laughs> I got a wife, I got, you know, other people in my life. That's the important pieces, right? Yeah. And, well, you know, sense of community is very, very important. And without that, you know, it is so difficult to stay focused and, and enjoy life if you don't feel like you belong somewhere. Why? And also there's the other thing that he brought up in this, and this is the part that where I was also, I got so busy, I didn't have any me time. And even though I was on the internet looking like it was all about me, it wasn't all about me. I was kept up with the drama, the other things that were going on. And I didn't have my, I, I, st- I kind of was putting off the morning meditations and he was showing examples of folks. Uh, I think he used the example of the executive at LinkedIn. Four times a day, he does half hour, like no meeting, just me reflection time to be able to think so that he can make sense of everything that's going on. He prioritizes that. As right, as this is important because if I can't do this, I can't do the rest. I was going to say that uh, what Greg talks about and says heavily too is that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. That's a total truth. He had so many good quotes in this. I like the one where he talks about, and I, I think this must be a quote from somewhere else, you know, we do things for people or do things for people to impress them 
and then you know we at the end don't get anything i can't oh i got it oh it was the you work at a job you don't like to buy things that you don't need to impress people you don't like that's right that's right i knew you knew that one (laughs) yes isn't that That amazing that is so true how many times have we spent and we go to a party that we don't really, oh, I got to go to this event because if I don't, I'm not going to look good to others. Or if I don't do this, this event, you know, if I don't do this live stream for me, that was what it was. It's like, if I don't do this live stream every week, it's not going to turn out right because I have to be consistent and my other friend is relying on me. And then at the end, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just interesting. Not as much as you think, right? Like that—that right. I, I, that is one thing that happens when I'm working with clients. So I've brought up the idea of thinking errors before or, you know, cognitive distortions, these things that we think are true, but actually aren't. And we tend to think that people are going to be mad at us if we don't do what they've asked us to do. Or that uh, for whatever reason, if we don't say yes, right, then they won't want to be our friend. I've even had some some clients, right, based on their experiences, where they kind of have been taught that if they don't say yes, then they are in serious danger and it becomes a safety thing. So then even after they get out of a situation that is no longer a safety concern, they get into a situation at work where they really are safe, but they don't know how to say no because they are in the habit of saying yes so much because it's like, oh, if I don't say yes, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get hurt. Well, and that's where that, so that's that, that one theory, that one syndrome where they were talking about the helpless syndrome or where they were talking about learned the, helplessness, learned, right? Learned helplessness. Yep. And they did a, this test on a certain amount of dogs and people, they said people follow the same exact thing. They said that they set up a test where a dog, if it knew it had, had three different situations and it was like, got shocked. So one dog knew that it could switch off the shock if it crossed a barrier. So it, it figured out that another dog set, could not turn off it didn't have any it didn't it would always get shocked every time it did this and then the third dogs didn't have any shock at all it was like a placebo it was just like they could go off you know there was none so the two sets of dogs that could turn them off and ones that didn't have the shock they realized that they could cross over this boundary anytime there was no fear of it and if they took them out of the situation they never feared it well, the dogs that kept getting shocked, they had this appearance that they were always going to get shocked. And their mindset was, no matter what I do, I'm going to get shocked. So I'm just going to stay in this situation knowing I'm just going to get shocked. And that's exactly what you're talking about. People will go from place to place always thinking the worst of it because they've never had any experience where it hasn't been like that. It's tough to switch the, uh, well, to flip the switch with that. Right. You know, because if you if you have a lived experience that is just negative stuff happening, right? You're getting shocked, so to speak. Trauma, right. All the time and it doesn't stop. You do learn and believe that 
doesn't matter what you do, you're going to continue to get shocked. So why try? And that is, that is so difficult because those dogs that were getting shocked that had that one experience that all you do is get shocked. They did. They just laid down and continue to get shocked when all they had to do is move like three or four feet over. I know you as a therapist have seen this over and over again with people with trauma disorder of some sort where they've had some PTSD, some other trauma that's happened in their life. That's traumatic experience where, especially at young ages, when you're growing up, that experience is turns into their perception of the world. And how do you tell clients or people in general from a therapist point of view, how do you teach them to move on? That is a really good question. I, you know, in, in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience really with, with working with clients, I find that everyone has experiences where things have gone right, where things have worked out, where they didn't give up and it worked, um, even if they're very small successes. And it's trying to get people to get out of that all or nothing thinking. Mm. It's, it's pointing out you know, that they actually do have success there are examples in their lives that prove that and then empowering them with small gains, right? So you set, you set the goals up, you know, kind of like we do with the smart goals, right? Make them attainable and you make it so that it doesn't take as much effort as it normally would. Right. Small gains are much more important than big gains. It's very interesting. And I, I thought that that was, it was, imp- I thought about that when I was reading that part, because I was like, how do you, and, and I've known a lot of people that are stuck and they, they, like, this has happened to me and they can't move on. And I have a, I have had some people that have quoted their mood disorder in some way, and they just stay in that space. And this is my mood disorder. And I, I'm, I identify I don't, with it. They identify with it so much that they, that they don't move on and they use that as their crutch for every reason why they can't move on in life. It's frustrating as a friend. And that was the part that I I feel frustrated for them because I read up and say, Hey, yeah, that's a problem for them. That that really does exist. These mood disorders do exist. However, how can you not make it, a disability anymore for them. And it's very frustrating from both sides. Somebody who is dealing with somebody with that problem and somebody who is actually having that problem. And how do you get them to, you know, for, for me, I'm like, how do you get help them move on? And sometimes it's not for you. It's for them. They have to be able to choose that. And then what does a therapist say to help them move on? And I think that your, you know, your example is really very positive. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of therapy really is just providing a safe place for someone to vent and feel validated, right? If someone's identifying with a disability or an issue that really has been impactful and it's getting in the way of their success, but then using that 
also as as a way to not try right sometimes it's just give them the validation uh, with enough time after they feel like they're heard and that uh, they're being taken seriously right that this thing is so difficult right right and maybe they're like yeah okay thank you for listening i don't like this anymore what can i do <laughs> right <laughs> that's a good that's they have to and it has to be them who comes up with that and it's i know how difficult it is for family so the reason why i even thought about this in this book and is is that the choices we make come from being able to successfully navigate these this these waters and realize the outcome but when you don't have a mindset that sees past it past certain obstacles then how do you make these choices? And that's where these, like what you're talking about, making small, small choices that lead to success and then make another small choice. Um, Because sometimes you can't see some of these choices, all of them, when you are so in, maybe you have some mental illness or you've had a lot of perception, you know, negative perceptions on the world or people and, or circumstances and being able to say, I see past that and see the better choice. And that's, and it goes even to the trade-offs. Like if I can't see the trade-offs because I am so stuck, how do you make it past it? And that was the one thing that I would say that some of these things sound really simple and yet they can be very difficult because you have to be able to see it. Just like organizations that have, I want to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. And when they don't know how to make their own priority, they'll just go back to default mode of, I'm just going to not, I'm going to make the same priorities I always make. Or they burn out and stop. Right. Right. The, the reality of it, right. Again, the core mindset is, um, it is, there's these trade-offs that you have to make. And if you're in a situation that makes it very difficult to make these choices, because we're we aren't in a perfect society we aren't we aren't in a perfect world there are disadvantages and advantages depending on who you are where you're from your age you know just all all these things all these factors you know contribute to whether or not your individual well you always have individual choice but you might not have as many options to choose from right right or the consequences might be more dire based on the choices that you make, right? However, regardless of where you are, I really think that uh, you do have the power to choose and you have to look at the trade-offs when you make the choice. What are the trade-offs and is it worth it? And I think that that what he's also saying is giving yourself space to be able to think these out properly. And sometimes space also means talking to and consulting with people that have been there, maybe a therapist, if it's a personal thing that you're really having an, it's, there's an obstacle there and you can't see past it. Having a therapist come in and kind of maybe talk to them and see what you can do to help kind of navigate those waters. I've done it with peers like, Hey, I know you've been here. What do you think? But giving space, I think that was one of the biggest things. And that's why when you spread yourself too thin, 
you don't give yourself space to be able to think it through properly. So little stressors will become big stressors because you don't aren't of the mindset to give it space to think well, it through properly. Right. Well, you don't even have the time to. Right. Don't, That's the whole problem. Uh, yeah. So, and he, you know, um, essentialism goes very, very uh, in depth on, on that as well. Like I love, like everything I'm saying tonight is like he goes in depth on this and he goes in depth it's on that. Truth, truth. He, his, I mean, he's he has prioritized <laughs> really well the topics that he goes into and and when. I think that this whole book is like that, right? This whole book has a lot of different things that are meaningful. And there's a lot of very good passages for being able to navigate. Now, the good thing is he's prioritized them into very specific discussions that you can go down the rabbit hole. We can't discuss at all, but these three major ones are the ones that I think that are the most important. And he really keeps, I think it's back to that philosophy that you keep going to reinforce these three you have a lot of examples and things that help support them. So I think that if we were to take about, you know, there's a lot of, lot of really good information, but I think we have to really focus on these three major ones. Yeah. That's why he set these out as the core mindset. If right. you want to really be good at prioritizing your life, choosing your life rather than letting someone else choose it for you. No. Right then then you have to follow these mindsets he made the example and i love i love this example of uh it's kind of like if you have a closet how uncomfortable would it be for you andy if people your neighbors people at work all these people were bringing clothes in and shoving them on you right now i'm like hey i need to put this uh shirt in here and this pair of pants and these socks and here put all these in there like hundreds of people or it doesn't even need to be hundreds of people, but hundreds of things from just a few people adds up. Are you going to have any room in that closet? No. And that's the, that, and that's the, that is the truth behind the closet that there's just not enough room in it, especially to get it all at once. And that was the one thing that it's interesting. It's not like he's saying that you can't do these things but just not all at the same time and not all within a certain amount of time. <laughs> so it's not like, well, I can do one and then I'll do two and then I'll do three. Maybe you do one pause, Consider give it some what space it you want to do now. and then make a choice to do the second. Is this still a priority for me to do the second? Oh, okay. Yes. So I will do that now. And I think that's the biggest thing that I really love about this book is choices. Everything is a choice. It's not, and, and he said that so many times. So many times people will say, I didn't have a choice. And in this book, he's stating, you always have a choice. Even if something's happened to you, how you respond to that thing happening is a choice. And we subsequently, when we think, I have no choice, this has happened to me, and now I have to, 
yes, you have a choice to be able to respond or react to it. Yes, this has been given to me, but there's still a choice involved in how you dealt with it or even being dealing with it at all. And yeah. saying, you know, this isn't my, this isn't my monkeys. You know, this isn't my circus. This isn't my monkeys. Right. Well, really, when when someone says I, I didn't have a choice, all they're saying is that the alternative to what they chose wasn't worth it. Or they did make the a choice by not making a choice. Like they let the natural consequences of somebody else. And that's where he's saying the choice was made for you. Someone put a big big huge bag of smelly socks in your closet right and you're upset that that is happening but it's your closet so why'd you let them do it right, right? you saw them walking in with a bag of socks <laughs> yeah why didn't you put boundaries up why didn't you say this is not so i'm going to use a really small example um today i had the choice and I kind of made it a big deal. My son was trying to take a guitar that I've had for the last 40 years. He was trying to, I let him borrow it, but he wanted to take it outside the house. That's brave. Yes. <laughs> you let him borrow it. Very I did love it. And especially, yeah, this is my, and I, I trust him within the house because I think that he's just doing his thing with recording. But what I chose when I heard that he was trying to take it and he called it his guitar, I was like, A, that's not his guitar. And I want it back. I don't want him to have it. And I could have just got along with the flow. I could have said, and this is where so many people, I don't want to buck the system. I don't want to make him mad. As soon as I say no, I know he's going to be upset. And he was, he was upset. And then, you know, he started making, you know, getting upset and throwing kind of a temper tantrum about it. But if you don't do that and you don't set boundaries for the things in your life, someone else will and you won't like the outcome. So he could have easily taken the guitar and I could not have made a big deal of it. And he could have possibly given it back to me with no problems or him taking a guitar to where he's at could have had it stolen and then I wouldn't have had a guitar and people don't take care of your stuff as well as you would take care of your own. And then you'd be upset. And again, then it goes back down to, well, it's just stuff. Should you even be concerned about stuff? So you could have that discussion with yourself too. But if you don't give yourself space and boundaries to set up time to be able to think of those things, then your knee jerk reaction to all of this but then again, you're letting people dictate your life. I could have just let him do it. And then I would have said that was a choice I did. I just let him take it. And knowing that everything would have been fine. He would have been, not been upset. He would have been able to take it. Who knows whether it would have come back okay. And with kids, I, I don't know if you, well, you have kids, but you, when you, they get older and they're able to use like your stuff, you know, a year and a half, you're probably not going to give them your guitar, your bass, right? <laughs> or your drums or anything. The drums, yeah. You're probably not. <laughs> but but later down the road, when they want to learn to play drums, you probably will buy them their own drum set. Or yeah, you'll, probably. Because you know that this is something that is important to you. And at some point, they have to learn how to have their own things. But if you just give in all the time with kids, 
then they learn the concepts of that everything just comes to them and they can take and not and not care about what I've noticed with a lot of kids, my kids specifically at times, is they don't have the same concern for my stuff. Plus they're they didn't they didn't play six hours a day on that guitar for five or six years in high school and it got them through high school because that was their outlet. Right. Or they didn't put in the the time and the effort to earn the money to purchase it. They don't have the sense of ownership for it. Right. right. And it, and it's and it was a choice. And and my big thing here is not that it was about the guitar. It was the fact that I had to set boundaries for choices. I had to choose to just not sit down and let it happen and just be okay with it. Now, everybody else was like, why are you acting so crazy? (laughs) Because I don't want them to have it because this is something that's important to me. And those are times where you can, not everybody's going to understand. And it's, that's exactly when he says that quote that trying to impress people that don't, that they don't matter. And it's not that, my son doesn't matter is that he doesn't have the same concern for the things that I have concerns for. It's the fact that the, the guitar doesn't matter to him. Right. That's- Not the same way. And if for him, it was a, I want to record a guitar right now. And then I'm just, after I'm done with it, I'm going to leave it in my, in my car in the heat for a few weeks. And it may or may not get stolen. Who knows what will happen to it. Get warped. <laughs> right and then right. you get it back and it's never the same way things are missing pieces are gone yeah. and then you're like well what did you do to my guitar yeah you gave it back now but now it's not in the whole piece my whole point with this is the fact that you really do have choices and at any point in time you can say no to it and that was my whole point here i said no and I had to be deliberate sometime and it was not popular. My kid did not like me for it. He's, he's 24. So he's not really a kid anymore, but he's my kid. <laughs> right. And it did make a kind of a turmoil and a little bit of drama. And I wish that I could have said it in a different way, but sometimes you just have to say no and no is okay. I would argue and, it's not just sometimes that you have to say no. It's again the majority, uh, majority of the time, of time, right? Right. That's where we're. Go- that's where I was going with but, it. Is that? Yeah. It's okay to say no, and you don't have to be a jerk about it. Now, in this case, I it turned into a jerky move. I said, I don't mind if he uses it in my house, but you can't take it out because this is mine. And, you know, you could go into the whole you know, Buddhist philosophy of stuff, it's just stuff, whatever. But I will say that laying down boundaries helps people learn how to treat you. I think the word no has power in it to be able to say, this is something I will not allow in my life. I won't allow myself to get so busy, so spread out to where I don't have my own life. I don't have my own time. I don't have, I don't have things for myself well you know this brings up something from another great great book that maybe we'll read down the down the line it's the seven habits of highly effective people excellent book yeah yeah now stephen covey gives an example of a time you know and he's like this big business person very very 
well-known and, and very successful. He gives an example of asking one of his go-to people, right? These people that are very, very efficient, very, very good at what they do. And uh, he asked this person to work on some project. And this person, rather than saying yes, was actually saying no. And this is, this is why the person was successful. This is why Stephen Covey went to him in the first place, because this person gets things done, because they have their priority in the right spot. Right. Now, this guy basically says to Stephen, he goes, okay, I can do that for you. However, and, and basically he's bringing up that there's a trade-off. You've also asked me to work on this project and this project. And I do not have the time to do all three of these projects, only for like the two, right? I, this isn't it exactly. But uh, he's basically saying like, there's a trade-off here. Would you rather me do this new project you want me to, that you just brought up? Or do you want me to focus on these? Right? Because I'm basically saying no to one of them if I say yes to this. And Stephen was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to work on this new project then. Just continue as, as you are, right? So this person, highly effective, like the book is named, <laughs> highly effective because they focus on the essentials. They prioritized. They said, right. I have to say no. And every time I say yes to something, I am saying no to something else. It right. is never cut and dry. It's always yes and no. And I think that knowing that it's okay to say no, it's okay. And it's, and, and, and you can say it with a smile. You don't have to just let your life be. And, and there's people that say, yes, be the yes, man. How are you going to, you know, it won't get, you can't go into successful places and work if you don't say yes to the bosses. However, he's bringing up to be effective, you have to say no. You have to say, hey, I know I can't do it that way. Or, but he's saying, but he did it in a diplomatic way. He said, here are your choices in what I'm saying. Now, here's what I could have said instead of just no. And I was thinking about that when you're talking about this. I could have said, you can borrow my guitar, but only if you're here. And I don't mind you recording something, but only if you're here. And since you're not here, I don't want you borrowing it. And then they would have understood, well, okay, so that means that there's a boundary on where I can do this at. And instead right. of just a plain no, which then it created the drama. <laughs> but saying no was important, but then also coming up with, how can I also say something that would make the boundary still there, but also giving choices to say, hey, well, oh, okay, then I'll just go home and record then. Okay. Yeah. Or That could have been an option. Or sometimes no is right? no. Sometimes no is no too. Like if a kid's playing with something that is painful or hurtful, sometimes you do have to say a hard no. Mm-hmm. But hopefully what I think that I'm gathering from you hopefully can get choices to say no, but with a, with some conditional statements in there of 
how you could go about it. It's not just a no. If that's if it's on the table, what you want to do, yeah, right, right. If you really don't want to, like, and, and this is the other thing, <laughs> right? If it's kind of a maybe, then it's a no, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not, um, so cut and dry in the moment. Uh, however, if if you're struggling to make a decision, or someone asks you to go do something, or asks you to, you know, help them with something, and you're really ah, kind of on the fence you know that that's where you pause that's right. where you have the time to think that you don't want to give a reactive yes space. or a reactive no right that space and you actually do think about it and you, you know you ask those questions like what he says in the book right is this going to lead me in the direction that i want to go is this something that i truly value and is, and is important to me and if after that, if you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, great, then do it. And if it's like, ah, I don't know, still, maybe, then it's a no. Yeah. And I think also being able to decipher that in others as well. I, I think that sometimes this is not only good for us, but also reading into things to saying, how can I help others with this essentialism discussion? with making more effective choices. So when you do see a maybe, don't take advantage of it. Say, oh, they're really not, you know, have a discussion about it and then saying, okay, yes, that's, ex you're right. No, we shouldn't do that. Oh, so you're saying like respect the person's no. Yeah, respect, respect the person's no, but then additionally, if they're on, if they seem like they're on the fence, giving them, helping them give the space. So how do we see somebody who's struggling with a decision? How do you give them space? Either you can just say, okay, I'll come back to you and give you some more time to think about it. And then, or you can say, hey, I see that you're, is this more of a no for you? And then usually they'll say, yeah, that really is a no. I really don't want to do this. I think choosing empathy and compassion always is a win-win. You always are winning right. with that. So if I come up to you, Andy, and I'm like, hey, I've got this big old sack of socks. <laughs> I haven't washed them. They're really dirty. Will you store them in your closet for me for a little bit? And I could say maybe, maybe, and oh. then... You probably, yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, you <laughs> maybe if you I washed them, maybe if you washed them first, and then they wouldn't be a big, huge bag of socks and my smelly socks. Understanding somebody's no is not a problem. And I think that he also makes a very big point in always not just being a jerk about no. You know, no, I really don't want to, I, I really shouldn't do stuff like that because I'm trying to keep this, this closet clean. And yeah. putting dirty socks into it would make it smell funky and make the rest of my clothes. You can have that explanation. And not everything does deserve an explanation. Sometimes, especially with kids, no me, no. But in this case, you can still explain. I think also helping explain to kids why you're making decisions for no. I, it's interesting. I remember when I was a kid, no meant no. And my dad always said no. And there was no explanation. And then years later, he said why don't you explain it to them? I'm like, are you the same guy that told me no? And that just meant the end. He is an older, 
having more wisdom, having more sage wisdom, he decided that this was probably more appropriate and was something he probably would do differently if he had a choice. And he was like, hey, why don't you explain why the consequences of doing this would lead to this negative thing? You're like, oh. Well, I think that 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 makes sense, though, right? Like, as adults, if you get told no, you want to know why. Right. right. No, no, I, I, I agree. Right. No means no. And being a mental health therapist and, and a social worker, my mind immediately goes to the rights of a person and 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 uh, like rape. Right. Like, right. Not, like that's a heavy thing to bring up. We're talking about essentialism and I bring up rape. Leave it to a social worker to ruin the mood, <laughs> right? But, but like, no that, means right. no. No does mean right. No and, and and I don't um, have to give an explanation. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, well, because it's a given in that situation. Why? Because it's my body, right? right. And they don't and have to give you an explanation. No. But some people, <laughs> some some people don't understand those boundaries for lack of understanding who knows maybe their parents always lack of empathy whatever it is however no mean there are times where no just means no and in this case what you're talking about it's dangerous just like with kids running in streets you know around cars well the 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 other idea behind this too is like people aren't used to being told no so when they get told no they're like huh what what is this right like I've, I've always been told yes. And that's so true. That's and that was culture. where I went. That was exactly what happened today. He got really upset because he got told no. And I, I look back at, you know, I've raised this kid for most of his life. So he's my stepson and I've been in his life for 14 years. And what I think about is the fact that after 14 years of raising him, how many times we told him yes most of the time and let him just get whatever he wanted because it was easier at times. And I think that it didn't do him service at times because he is one of those kids that he doesn't understand and he throws kind of a temper tantrum when he hears no. And we were talking about that as a family when we were eating. We're like, yeah, anytime you tell him no, that's what happens. He gets really irate because he doesn't understand. No. Well, I, I, I look at us and I look at me and me and Christy and go, that's probably the reason because we let him do a bunch of stuff that he probably should have had restrictions on. And she said, no. Maybe. Right. And yet at the same time, like if hindsight, he's is an adult now too. <laughs> yeah. He's also yeah. an adult now that, yeah, you should understand not everybody is not, you know, that's the hard part. At some point you have to own your own life and you're going to be told no sometimes and you throwing a temper tantrum because you didn't get yes. But it's also in the same ball court, it's also okay to say no and say no most of the time. That's what he's saying. Reduce the noise. 20% of the things you do make up 80% of of the things that are really important. Say that again. So 20% of the things that you do make up 80% of the most important things. 
So reducing the noise, you only have to accept 20% of these things. These are the most important things, this 20%. So 80% of the time, you should be saying no. That's what he's saying there, is that 80% of the time, you should be saying no, because they don't make up a majority of the most important things. These are small token things that make no difference. The lesson from this uh this podcast, the reading of essentialism, right? These first two weeks basically is you have the choice to say no. And if you can create space where you can really consider what is being presented to you, the thing that you can say yes or no to, right? If you can look at it and think about it and ask yourself some questions about like, is this important to me? Is this gonna take me where I need to be? You know, is it in line with my values? Whatever it is that you're asking yourself, right? But you actually put time and effort into making the choice. It's not reactive, it's a very proactive choice. Then when you say no, and you do it so kindly, you're gonna be in control of your life. You're gonna feel better. People are going to respect you for it. They're gonna maybe be a little bit put off at first. Right. But really, it's just because um, maybe they're jealous. Right. Right. Lots of people think, oh, I wish I had said no to this. Right. right. No and the, But I think it's also is knowing when to say no. And that's where he says choices, noise and trade off. So know if this is noise. Know if this is a choice. Know that if this is noise or not noise. And also within regards to considering that, go through the trade-offs. If I do this, then I can't do this. Because mm-hmm. yes, those are the things. And so, so then you can lead know. to a yes or a no decision on anything, but go through this mechanism to help know when to say yes and when to say no, so that you live this happier life. And knowing that all, that most of it's noise, so just make the best choices for your life by knowing how to reduce the noise and making trade-off decisions perfect yeah i think i think that is a perfect place to to lead off um you know we we are doing our new year's resolutions our smart goals still andy how are you doing with yours you know I'm actually doing, this is all a journey, isn't it? I think the interesting thing about how this has become, like I was going to do, oh, I'm just going to grow my social influence. And how I'm finding that I'm doing it is by doing things by essentialism, by choosing to start taking care of myself and taking some people on a journey with that at times. Um, This week I took, took some pictures of me I went and actually chose for once myself and decided to go do a sleep study because I'm not sleeping very well and I haven't been sleeping very well for years actually your sleep is a priority it is because then you make better decisions and you can think more clearly you're not foggy all the time and choosing self-care was a priority because if if I'm not an advocate for myself. Nobody else really will. But also I can't advocate for others if I'm not my best at my best. Then it's important to always know that self-love and self-care is the most important 
ability to be able to give to others. Because if you don't have your base down, you can't give to anybody else. You just can't do it. You're not, you don't have the time and you don't have the resources to do so. And that was what I realized is that I'm just always tired. I was spreading myself out too thin. And that's where I started just taking a self-care journey and showing that on the social media sites. Hey, I'm t putting a halt on a whole lot of stuff to be an example of what it looks like to take do self-care. So I've been posting a lot more positive posts when I can. I've uh, noticed that actually. Yeah. yeah, you have you have lots of good stuff going up. Positive right, but it's stuff. but it's that example of taking myself into doing self care for myself and letting people go on the journey for myself, letting them see it is a great way of giving back to others and still doing what my goal was, which was to grow my, grow my channel. Well, I'm growing my channel through self-care and showing people what it takes to really take care of yourself. Sometimes you have to put the brakes on. Sometimes you have to go read a book on essentialism to get some new ideas. Sometimes you have to talk to Brian, the therapist, who I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. How do I deal with this situation? And then come back to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And showing that you can be strong in those ways to be able to be strong for others. It's pointless for me to keep continuing spreading myself out too thin to where I can't be there for anyone, not even myself. And so when I changed it up recently, it was like a, you know, I'm tired of a whole lot of things that were going on and not participating in them and taking care of myself so that I can be the best version of me and then saying, finding the best way to make decisions so that I don't get into that situation again where I'm spread out too thin and, and thinking that I'm overwhelmed. I think the overwhelmed feeling was where I was really at. This is overwhelming. I'm tired of all this drama. I'm tired of all of the crazy that's going on in my life. All the noise. All the noise. And that's why this book came right at the right time. I, I don't know, you know, you can call it law of attraction, whatever. But sometimes I think that there is another being out there, whatever you call it, whatever you want to call it. You know, the universe is giving you things all the time that you can use along your journey and it's your ability to take it and take advantage of it and learn from it. That's so important. And that's what I've done with this and being able to put that onto social media saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take a step back from just smelling products all day. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to show pictures of me getting a sleep study <laughs> yes. and letting them know that it's safe. It's I got through it. I feel much better. I'm going to probably talk about it vlog a little bit, say, Hey, this is what I'm doing and letting people in on that part of the life decisions so that they can say, Hey, me too. I can do that for myself too. It's not self-centered. It. Yeah. So no, that's kind of where I'm at. And it's, I didn't think it was going to be like that, but I think that that's being able to take a step back and take care of myself as well as the most, you know, my family and then the other things, even the job, 
and we'll I'll have some more news soon, but there's some things going out in my, you know, my job, my job life, you know, that are changing. So I'm excited and I, I'll be talking about that in the next, probably in a couple of weeks, talking about that change and things like that. So, Excellent. yeah. Excellent. Thank you for getting us a, really a, a good glimpse and a lesson from what you're doing in your life to take care of you. I think all of us can learn from that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. You know, as far as... Um, what I've been working on. Which is another have, form of self-care. Just another form of self-care. Everyone who's else is out there. So you've been eating healthy. Yeah, eating healthier. Today yeah. was pie day. It is it is 314. Yes, okay. that is correct. So I actually, actually had pizza. So <laughs> it's a pizza pie day. And, uh, or I don't know if, you know, if you have pizza or if you have actual pies, like pumpkin pie or something like that. Either I don't one. Know. Yeah, you can I did one. I did the pizza thing and it was good. So today was a little bit of a, an off day, but the last little while I've been doing pretty well. I've lost um, actually almost 10 pounds just from kind of getting healthy. After today, I'm sure I will have gained a little and that is okay. I've had... <laughs> A lot of spinach, a lot of V8 juice, you know, Love it. Well, you know, a lot of good, healthy things. And um, I am feeling a lot better. Like it, it is so worth it to be eating a little bit healthier, you know? Yeah, I love that. I started doing riding the bike again. So I feel like that's been important and eating a little bit better. I've been, again, trying to do the self-care thing with the sleep study was about physical health as well. Not just mental health, but physical health, because there's so many things when you have sleep apnea, so many physical problems that you can, that are created because you are not sleeping well. For sure. Yeah. You know? And so I'm glad you're taking care of that. You'll be Me like too. Feeling maybe like a new person. Who knows? I hope so. I I, I know that just based off the like four or five hours of sleep that I had with the CPAP machine, it was like night and day difference. Like people say that it's like flipping on a switch. It is a little bit of getting used to because it has something on your face. But whoa, when wow. you are able to get a solid, like go into REM sleep and you feel it, and it's so. I mean, you feel happier you're not tired anymore so i'm looking forward to that journey and getting that all set up and you know it may take a little bit of time but uh, i'm excited for it so uh brian we have in two weeks we'll wrap this book up and um all i'm going to say is uh stay bearded yeah beard on <laughs> we'll see you all next time thanks for joining us uh, we always have such a blast doing this 